This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read from God's Word this morning in Titus chapter 3. The epistle of Paul to Titus chapter 3. You'll notice that Paul does here in Titus what he does in Romans and what is reflected in the Heidelberg Catechism. And he has three parts in the description of our comfort. First part being our sins and miseries. Find that in verse 3. And then description of our salvation, verses 4 through 7. And then you find the thankfulness of good unto good works in verse 8. Sin, salvation, and then service of thanks. Let's read Titus chapter 3. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto all men but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself, when I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. Let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 27, based on 
this passage in Titus 3, as well as on many other passages of God's Word, we have the teaching of Lord's Day 27 regarding baptism. Having explained the positive teaching of baptism, Lord's Day 27 addresses the errors. Is then the external baptism with water, the washing away of sin itself, not at all, for the blood of Jesus Christ only and the Holy Ghost cleanse us from all sin. Why then doth the Holy Ghost call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks thus not without great cause, to wit, not only thereby to teach us that as the filth of the body is purged away by water, so our sins are removed by the blood and Spirit of Jesus Christ, but especially that by this divine pledge and sign He may assure us that we are spiritually cleansed from our sins as really as we are externally washed with water. Are infants also to be baptized? Yes. For since they as well as the adult, are included in the covenant and church of God. And since redemption from sin by the blood of Christ and the Holy Ghost, the author of faith, is promised to them no less than to the adult, they must therefore by baptism, as a sign of the covenant, be also admitted into the Christian church and be distinguished from the children of unbelievers as was done in the Old Covenant or Testament by circumcision, instead of which baptism is instituted in the New Covenant. Beloved adults and children in the Lord Jesus Christ, I address you as such this morning, beloved adults and children in the Lord Jesus Christ, exactly because of the topic or the doctrine of the Word of God this morning. Because both adults and children are in Jesus Christ and beloved of Him. We return to the doctrine of baptism, which shows that truth of adults and children being in Jesus Christ. However, Catechism, Lord's Day 26, as I mentioned, explained positively this teaching on the sacrament of baptism. And now in Lord's Day 27, we find the Catechism addressing real errors regarding this sacrament of baptism. In addressing the errors that surround the doctrine of baptism, we're not only warned against holding to such errors that are around you, around us. But as is often the case, as we address the errors regarding baptism, we are not only warned, but it helps us clarify and develop in our understanding of what baptism is all about. So I ask you a crucial question this morning to begin, a critical question which we answer differently from those who hold to such errors on baptism. What happens at the moment of baptism? 
Think about your baptism again. Think about the baptism that we find in the Christian, in the Reformed Church. What happens at the moment of baptism when a child or an adult is brought into contact with the water of baptism and that formula is pronounced, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What happens? And you know the answer positively that God in baptism is symbolizing and sealing sign and seal. Picturing and assuring His covenant and the promises of His covenant to His elect people, both adults and children. The Roman Catholic Church, however, answers that question differently. What happens at baptism? Ex opera operato which means the sign itself, the work of the sign itself confers grace or power. Baptism itself brings about saving grace. What happens at baptism, the liberated view or the Canadian Reformed and American Reformed view, God promises, they say, to every single one that is baptized that they have Salvation, that they are in the covenant, washed of their sins. What, what happens at baptism? The Baptist view, the Baptist answers it is a sign of God's salvation only for the adult who can confess his faith. And to all those who hold to such errors, we say on the basis of God's Word, and as explained by the Catechism, no, what happens at baptism is God's sign and seal of His covenant with His elect people, made up both of adults and children. Is a sign of the unconditional covenant. You consider that doctrine of baptism this morning as taught in Lord's Day 27, the washing for infants of believers also. Washing for infants of believers also. First, the washing of regeneration. We take the language of Titus 3 verse 5 and that which the catechism uses and explain again the washing of regeneration. And secondly, the promise to infants. The promise to infants also. And then finally, the application of baptism. Today we address errors. We take special aim, though not only aim, but special aim at the Baptist error. But before we proceed, let us refresh our memory we need a refreshing of our memory regarding the positive truth of baptism. What the Catechism does in Lord's Day 27 is indeed, as we read through it, is indeed a reminder of what it had already taught in Lord's Day 26. And so I don't hesitate to remind you about the three points about the meaning of baptism, which we considered last Sunday in Lord's Day 26. 
to avoid errors, we must remember the fundamentals. Forgetting the fundamentals will lead us to error. So first, remember that baptism is a sign of the covenant. Specifically, baptism is a sign of being brought into the covenant. It's a sign of entering in that covenant. And covenant, as you know, is defined as the fellowship, the saving fellowship of French and, and friendship with God. It is a bond or a relationship of friendship and fellowship with God. And baptism shows God taking us into that saving relationship. I remind you that the proof of that is heard right in the sacrament of baptism. When that baptism formula is spoken, I baptize you into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That very formula tells us that the sign of baptism is a sign of being brought into the covenant. Into the name means brought into fellowship with God and having His name placed upon us. Just as we saw last week, when a woman marries a man, Brought into a marriage covenant, into his family, his name is given to her. Or when a child is born or adopted into a family, that child is given the father's name. So also at baptism, when we are shown to be brought into the family of God, into his covenant, we are given his name. Into the name tells us that this is a sign of the covenant. Answer 74 speaks of this. They as well as the adult are included in the covenant and church of God. For to be brought into the relationship of fellowship with God is also to be brought into fellowship with the other members of the church. One of the main reasons for confusion in the church world and Main reasons for all the errors in the church world regarding baptism is simply this. There is ignorance. A lack of understanding of what the covenant is. And that baptism is a sign of this covenant. Being brought into that covenant with God. Secondly, As we saw last week, baptism also pictures the washing away of our sins and washing in two senses. God does not have friendship with sinners lest they be washed, unless they be washed of their sins. So last week we saw first that baptism also pictures the blood of Christ washing away the guilt of sin. You were supposed to memorize that, children. Parents, you were supposed to teach your children that point that baptism is a picture of the blood of Christ washing away the guilt of sin. 2,000 years ago, Christ, as that lamb without blemish, shed his blood. He lived the perfect life. And He suffered all His life in that obedience climax at the cross when He poured out His blood to cover our sins. That is, to cover 
all the guilt of all His elect people. Baptism pictures that saving work of Christ, the mediator of the covenant. And because of Him, we are declared not guilty before God. His blood, baptism shows, washes away the guilt of sin. But more, we said, water of baptism also pictures the Spirit. That's the third point. The water of baptism pictures the Spirit of Christ washing away the power of sin. That was the second phrase you were supposed to memorize. The water of baptism pictures the Spirit coming upon each of us His people like a flood, like the Red Sea as it were, to wash away that dirty old man who was sitting at the throne of our hearts, reigning. And though He still is in our souls, affecting all of our works, He's washed off the throne of our hearts. He no longer reigns over us. The Spirit does that work. Baptism pictures the Spirit of Christ washing away that power of sin. Remember your baptism. That was the exhortation. Remember the meaning of baptism. It is to be brought into covenant with God. It is to be washed by the blood of Christ of the guilt of sins. By the Spirit of Christ of your power of sin. And this morning, this morning, having reviewed those three points, I give to you a fourth point to remember. It's not unrelated from the other three points. In fact, it's one word that can sum up precisely what baptism pictures. We don't only keep in our memory knowledge, but we think and we develop our understanding of the truth. And so also with baptism. Baptism pictures regeneration. Regeneration. The Catechism speaks of that by using that phrase at the end of Lord's Day 26 and in question 73, the washing of regeneration. The washing of regeneration. And what the Catechism is doing, as you notice in the Scripture reading, is quoting Titus 3 verse 5 when it speaks of baptism as the washing of regeneration. Verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing, as an explanation of that former phrase, and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Don't forget that beautiful expression, children. That's another one to memorize. What does baptism picture? The washing of regeneration. Regeneration defined is the first the first implanting, the first implanting of the new life of Jesus Christ inside our hearts. It's the first work of the Holy Spirit that invades our hearts and establishes a new man on the throne there. takes us who were dead in sin 
And for the first time, raises us to life by giving us that life of Jesus Christ in that new man. You know, don't you? You know, don't you? Children, you can understand this. That all of us began totally depraved. At the moment of conception within our mother's womb, even if we were conceived in a believing parent, at the moment of conception, we all began this way. Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin that my mother conceived me. As soon as we were conceived, we were all born this way, dead in sin, without a new man. It's all we all started. You were not conceived with a new man. You were not conceived with a regenerated heart. Each one of us began dead in sin. And it took Christ to send His Spirit to perform a miracle. A miracle more astounding than when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. To perform a miracle inside your heart to take you, your dead heart, and bring it to life by the work of the Spirit. That first work is called regeneration. Baptism. Baptism pictures that first work of Christ's Spirit in you to regenerate you. That is why, that is why Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration, the Catechism says. Because it pictures the Spirit coming for the first time and raising you from, from the dead. Baptism is called the washing of regeneration, not negatively, not because the sacrament itself actually causes regeneration. That's the point of the first question and answer here in our Lord's Day. Is then the external baptism with water the washing away of sin itself? Not at all. Not at all. The guilt, the catechism answers, the guilt of sin is washed away by the blood of Christ. But then, what we've been talking about regarding regeneration. Baptism doesn't regenerate. Baptism doesn't establish a new man inside of you for the first time. It can't do that. The Holy Spirit only. The Spirit of Christ that brings about that regeneration. It's called the washing of regeneration. The Catechism then explains in question and answer 73, that baptism is a sign of that regeneration and it's a seal or confirmation regarding that regeneration. Now having reviewed and then developed by pointing out what baptism means, we ask, to whom? 
To whom does God give this washing of regeneration? To whom does Christ bring into covenant with God? Who is washed by Christ's blood? Who is given His Spirit? And as Reformed believers, we insist it's not it's not only adult believers that receive the saving work of God for them and in them. But infants also. The most pointed phrase in, an, in question and answer 74 is this. Promised. Promised to them. Meaning promised to infant children of believers. Promised to them. No less than to the adult. No less. Think on that. Adults are in the covenant, are brought into the covenant. But children, no less than adults, just because an adult can process with his brain the doctrines better, and with his mouth can speak of the truth more ably, does not make him more so in the covenant than an infant. It does not make him more worthy of the promises of the covenant. Children are not saved in some lesser way than adults. No less is the promise of the spirit of regeneration for them as for adults. In fact, Jesus says in Luke 18, verse 16, when believing parents brought infants to Jesus, Jesus called those infants unto Him. The parents brought those infants even though the the disciples tried to keep the parents from bringing those infants to Jesus. And Jesus spoke regarding those infants. Luke is specific about that. Suffer the little children to come unto Me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. And He even exhorts the adults, you must humble yourselves as little children, for of such is the kingdom of God. Scripture nowhere places adults above children as though children are lesser residents or lesser of citizens in the kingdom of God and His covenant. But a simple question, does God promise to save both adults and their children? That's the question we must focus on. Does He promise to save both adults and children? The answer is clearly yes. He promised that in the Old Testament time and time again. 
In Genesis 17, verse 7, I will establish my covenant, he said to Abraham. And in Abraham, all believers, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. God reiterates for emphasis. And reiterates that to Abraham, not only in that specific verse, but throughout the Old Testament, he says it again and again and again. That the covenant, the washing even, is for adult believers and their children. Isaiah 44 is a favorite text of mine regarding that. And it fits so well with baptism. Isaiah 44, 1-3 Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord, that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, there's election, for I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. God promises to give the washing of regeneration, he says, right there in Isaiah 44, to adults adult believers, and their children. That's not just the case for the Old Testament people. In Acts 3, 2, verse 39, you know, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, Peter preached, the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14, Paul speaks especially to the believing spouse who was married to an unbelieving spouse. That's a comfort for single parents or parents who are, or, or a husband or a wife who is married to an unbelieving spouse. And the exhortation there was that the, unbe the believing spouse is not to leave the unbelieving spouse, if possible, to stay in that marriage, and then makes this promise. Else were your children unclean, but now, they, these children, are holy, holy children. Even if they're children of just one believing parent. And there are many proof texts that I can bring up. But if you understand the meaning of baptism, that it shows entrance into covenant with God. That it shows the guilt washed away by blood. That it shows the power of sin washed away by the Spirit. And particularly as we saw today, it shows regeneration, first implanting of new life. Then we must give that sign of salvation to those whom God has promised that salvation. 
That is, to adults, adult believers, and their children. In the Old Testament, the sign that the children of believers were included in this covenant, and the sign that showed the promise of regeneration in those children. In the Old Testament, the sign was circumcision, as you know. The cutting away of the foreskin of the flesh. That was a sign, the Bible says specifically, a sign of regeneration. I point you to Colossians 2, 11 and 12. Colossians 2, 11 and 12 is a very significant passage that is very important to bring up if you are discussing this issue of baptism with a Baptist of today. In Colossians 2, 11 and 12, it might not at first seem like a very powerful proof for the need to baptize infants of believers. But this text does powerfully prove it because it shows two things. First, it shows that circumcision and baptism, the Old Testament sign of circumcision and the New Testament sign of baptism are equivalent. It identifies the two. And then even more powerfully, more significant is that Colossians 2 shows that circumcision and baptism mean the same thing. That is, they picture regeneration. In Colossians 2, 11 and 12, we read, If in whom also ye are circumcised, you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And then explaining what circumcision means in putting off or washing off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with Him in baptism. There Paul identifies baptism with circumcision. Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead. If you compare the explanation of circumcision in the first part, verse 11, and the explanation of baptism in the second part, you find that the Spirit speaks of circumcision and baptism as referring both to the first work of the Spirit in the heart of the child of God to wash off that old man, to raise anew. Therefore, if circumcision was given not only to adults, but also to infants of believers in the Old Testament, to show that the promise of the covenant and the washing of regeneration was for them no less than adults in the Old. So also it should be given to infants in the New in the form of baptism which replaces circumcision. Or has God changed His mind?
as he changed his mind regarding his salvation of adults and their infant children in the Old Testament. So that while he did that in the Old Testament, now now in the New Testament, that's no longer the case. And for for 6,000 years through the Old Testament of saving adult believers and their children, God has shown that sign of salvation to them and their children for 6,000 years. But then when Jesus came, now that's no longer the case. And salvation is actually more limited to adults who can confess their faith. And to ask the question, of course, is to answer it. No. No. If anything, when Jesus Christ came, the salvation by His Spirit was poured forth more abundantly, as Titus says. Through Jesus Christ our Savior, there was a pouring forth of salvation not only upon the Jewish nation mainly, but upon all nations of the world to them and their children. Where in the Bible does it say, since we are in the New Testament, the sign of the covenant should now no longer be administered to infants of believers? Nowhere. The burden of the proof, therefore, is on the Baptist to prove that God has somehow changed His mind from the old to the new. Here's where we arrive at a serious theological problem behind the Baptist refusal to baptize infants. It is not merely a matter of not wanting to put water on a baby. One of the most serious errors behind the Baptist position is called dispensationalism. You will get nowhere in your witnessing to a Baptist if you don't understand this. I'm not accusing every single Baptist of dispensationalism, but at the root of the Baptist position is dispensationalism. That is, that God saved His people in the Old Testament differently than saving His people in the New Testament. That's the problem with the Baptist position. And that is why, in spite of all the proof, that you can find in the Old Testament of God pouring forth His Spirit upon adults and their children and giving them the sign of it. They will insist it's not the case in the New. Because at its roots, they have a faulty dispensational approach. The covenant is fundamentally different for them in the Old than in the New. We insist, no. The church of Christ is Catholic, not only in all the world, but in all times. And because of the same Jesus Christ, and by the same Holy Spirit, God saves His people in the same way, both in the Old and in the New Testament. And therefore, His covenant promises are the same to adult believers and 
their children. Along with dispensationalism, another error behind the Baptist view is Arminianism. Again, I qualify that not every Baptist is Arminian. There are those who call themselves Reformed Baptists. However, behind the traditional Baptist position is an Arminian approach to baptism. Is the Arminian heresy regarding regeneration. We said baptism is a picture of regeneration. Baptist theology, for the most part, especially in America, teaches that regeneration comes about by the free will choosing of a person. You are born again by your free will. You must choose by that free will in order to be regenerated. That's the Arminian teaching that's behind the Baptist position. That is why baptism comes as a sign of regeneration only upon someone after they have, with their free will choosing, accepted Jesus Christ. That's at the roots of the Baptist position. And the Reformed the reform Church shows, no, the sign of the washing of regeneration comes. It comes even before, even before there is any choosing of man. Without the will of man, John 1 verse 13, we're born or regenerated not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. One of the comebacks of the, comebacks of the Baptists is this, that the promise is not to every single child of believer. Is it? We're baptizing many children, the Baptist says, or you are, that aren't in the covenant, that will grow up to show themselves not part of the covenant, not regenerated. Therefore, we should not baptize them. We should wait until they can confess their faith. But that misses the point. Notice the catechism's most Poignant phrase again in question and answer 74. No less is promised to them no less than to the adult. When we baptize adults and their children, the sign of baptism comes on adults and children, not to indicate that every single one is in the covenant. But it's to show the promise of God that it is to them no less than to the adult. Besides, the Baptist argument proves too much. It argues too much. For the Baptist baptizes plenty of hypocrites who say they are regenerated, but are not. 
And if the Baptist wants to limit baptism only to those who they are sure are regenerated, they better not baptize too many adults either. But positively, whose word, whose word, beloved, do we take and use as the basis for our baptism? The word of man who says, I accept Jesus Christ, and then baptize them. Or the word of God, which says that the promise is unto you and to your children. It is the word of God that we hold to, not the word of man. And the word of God shows that the sign of the covenant and of the promises must be administered to adult believers and their children. So in application, we must insist sharply that the church is required to baptize infants, O believers, not limited to believers who are adults, but infants also. I'm sharp this morning against the Baptist position because there are many Baptists and there are many Baptists not only who are forthrightly Arminian, but there are many Baptists, I'm finding, who are more Calvinistic. They're Baptists who are more Calvinistic than many in Reformed churches today. And exactly because of that, our children and young people might be allured, and our people in general might be allured to the Baptist position, even having sympathy for it, because we see that they hold to many things we do as Reformed Baptists, so-called. So I issue this warning sharply that the Baptist idea is founded upon dispensational and Arminian doctrine. And this too, What takes place in a Baptist church is a rejection of the precious promise of God. By refusing to baptize children of believers, the Baptist church despises, it neglects, it attacks one of the most precious promises of God's Word. God says, I do, I do in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I do promise to save children of believers also. Display it. And it said, by withholding baptism from the children, no, we will not. Even worse, is the insistence on rebaptism. Sadly, I know some who have been baptized as infants and then joined a Baptist church and then in doing so have been rebaptized. That seems harmless at first. But 
But if baptism is a sign of entrance into covenant and the washing of regeneration, rebaptism says, I have to enter again into covenant. I must be regenerated again. That's what baptism communicates. Rebaptism does. More, it's an affront to the first baptism. It is to claim that God's Word and His promises spoken at the first baptism were invalid, vain. It's to reject the promise of God at that first baptism. Treat it as though it was nothing. Because of that, we agree with the Belgian Confession when it says in Article 34, we detest the error of the Anabaptists were not content with the one only baptism they had received and moreover condemned the baptism of the infants of believers. Now, having been serious about the Baptist error, beloved, I attack that with great vehemence because of the precious doctrine of baptism. Cherish, cherish, hold too dearly the precious promises of God's covenant with you and your children. Do not take this for granted, that which God has given to you in this church. Hearken this morning and think upon the great salvation that God reveals to you even today, as baptism is positively described. What a beautiful sign. Think again about Titus 3, 5 and 6, and how those verses especially describe the gospel that baptism illustrates. Not, not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Christ saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Not by works, that text begins with. Not only does He wash intellectually capable adults, because it's not because of those works, and they're holding two doctrines either, that saves them. But He shows in baptism, weak, helpless infants, You see any good works coming out of them? Not by works, baptism proclaims, as Titus does here. Not by the works of righteousness. Not by works are we washed of the guilt of sin. And neither this. Not by works. As Christ regenerate our dead hearts, which could, do not, could not do any good work. To be regenerated. Baptism proclaims that free washing of regeneration. Parents then raise them, raise them as God's covenant children, raise them as such. Love them as God loves his covenant children. Look upon them as those washed in the blood of Christ. 
Look upon them as those whom God has regenerated by His Spirit. Then you see, parents, you can make demands of them. Demands of the covenant. You must obey. Not only you must obey, children, you can obey. Because of the washing of regeneration, you have a new man in you. And you will obey out of thanks for what Christ has done for you. Children, young people, baptism, the knowledge of the promises of God, that you are in covenant with Him, doesn't make you go and live like the world, saying, I'm in the covenant anyways. No. But knowing the precious doctrines, that covenant, that, that baptism reveals, this is a faithful saying, you say, verse 8. These things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain, to be, care, to be diligent in doing good works. Live. Live as though you have been washed, not only by the blood of Christ, of your guilt, but live as though you have been regenerated by His Spirit. You were sometimes in darkness, dead, but now you are light. Walk as children of light. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.